My search for answers is possible thanks to the listeners. To learn more about how you can donate to this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash smalltownhorror. My name is Ryan Jennings. Small Town Horror is a bi-weekly podcast documenting my return to Creighton, Minnesota. Up until now, each episode's been recorded and released as it happened to me. But a lot's happened in the last few days, and I've decided to break it up into two episodes. Please be patient as I explain as much as I can. For more on how I got to this point, please listen to all previous episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or at smalltownhorrorpodcast.com. Every town has its stories, its secrets. What possible harm could come from sharing them? Hmm? This is Small Town Horror. Standing in the place where I was taken 18 years prior doesn't matter. The fear I felt walking through those woods again is completely washed away by seeing Alex standing there, waiting for me. Who the f*** are you? You shouldn't be here. No, you shouldn't be here. Alex? What are you doing here? I could have killed you. I needed to talk to him. I needed to tell him to stop all this. It's gone too far. What are you talking about? Stop looking for answers. It's making things worse. How? What are you talking about? The people. The voices of people laughing. Leave them alone. Wait, Alex. You know the voices of the people on the recording? Just one. Which one? Mine. Shoot me if you want. I'm not staying here a second longer. And neither should you. Sarah and I stand there and let Alex go. Sarah puts up an argument, but I can't move. I've just met another person who was taken. The fact that he'd rather get shot than stand around hits me right in the chest. I understand. You're just going to let him go? Ryan, are you listening? What? No, come on. We follow after Alex as he climbs into a lifted pickup truck and drives off, ignoring our yelling for him to stop. Sarah knows where he lives and we're soon pulled up at his house. The same lifted pickup truck parked in front of the garage. There's a U-Haul truck parked on the front curb. A for sale sign's planted in the front yard. All the lights are off in the house. We knock on the front door for five minutes and walk a loop around the house, trying to look into the darkened windows, but we get no answer. If Alex is inside, he isn't in the mood to talk. What the hell is going on? He's scared. Look at the U-Haul. He's running. From what? Everything. What are you talking about? We need to talk to him. I don't think he's going to open up and invite us in for a beer. Then we wait for him. You want to stay here all night? I don't want to risk coming back in the morning and seeing he's already gone. He has a wife and a daughter. I don't think they're going to suddenly drive off at four in the morning with furniture still in their house. He might. 
I would. Okay. We'll wait. You don't have to stay. I can do this on my own. No, you can't. And I don't really want to be alone tonight after all this. I wouldn't sleep anyway. I agree and we wait. Sitting in my car. Staring at Alex's house for hours. Talking about anything to keep ourselves awake. Why'd you agree to help me? What do you mean? Why'd you agree to go into the woods with a shotgun to help a crazy person? (laughs) You're not crazy. You're just scared. And honestly, I didn't think anyone would be there. I thought you would do the sinner's game again, and nothing would happen, and you'd be able to, I don't know, reframe things and move on. But then Alex showed up. Yeah. Then Alex showed up. Sarah tells me that Alex works at the fire department with Roger. I assume that's why he even risked going into the woods. He heard Sarah talking about it around town like I asked her to. Knew I'd be out there. Probably knew Roger had taken my gun. What neither of us can figure out is why he would want to talk to me at all. Tell me a story. A story? We've been sitting here for hours. Just tell me a story. Okay. Uh, I ever tell you that before I did the Sinners game, I planned to go to Ashbury? What, seriously? That was a plan. What about the non-disclosure everyone had to sign? It was only me and Dad left by then. And that didn't worry you? Sure it did, but I was young and dumb. You can't tell me that no one in your class ever talked about going out there. Well, no. But I was in class with Joey Berg. The Bergs? They just moved away. Left house with all the furniture. Yeah, no. You never thought it was weird that they just disappeared in the middle of the night? I heard it was officials from the state. Joey's dad worked in Ashbury when he was younger. They even got a settlement after what happened. I guess his dad thought it had been long enough and started to write a book about it. Next thing anyone knows, they're gone. So Joey pops up on Facebook about five years ago and started to friend everyone in town. But he won't talk about what happened. No one wants to talk about Ashbury, thanks to the Bergs. As if people weren't already scared of that place. Jesus. All I can really say about Ashbury, all that I really know, is that it's out there. A town that shouldn't be there. Not in the way that Creighton isn't on the maps, but in the way that it's Minnesota's dark little secret. A town that never should have existed and the bodies left behind because of their mistake. Creighton may be the only place left where there are people who still know about it anymore. But no one will talk about it. So it just sits there, slowly being swallowed by the forest. You're pretty lucky you didn't go. Crap, sorry. It's okay. I guess some people are just doomed to bad luck. 
The sun barely kisses the horizon when we see a light turn on in the upstairs window of the house. Only a few minutes later and the front door opens. Alex is still dressed in the same clothes as the night before. Two packing boxes are stacked in his arms as he carries them out to the truck. We don't wait, both of us leaving the car and cutting him off. Alex refuses to be recorded any further. He refuses to talk to me at all, but agrees to talk to Sarah. Gives her five minutes as he looks back to see his daughter looking out the living room window at him. She's only about six years old with blonde hair and pigtails and big blue eyes that stare out at her father. Alex sticks to his word of five minutes, not a second longer, and he's putting the two boxes in the truck. He goes back for a few more before leaving the house with his wife and daughter in tow. He kisses them before his wife climbs into the truck with their daughter, buckles her into a car seat while he gets into the U-Haul. He doesn't look at me as he drives off. But his wife stares at me with hate in her eyes as the truck roars out of the driveway and disappears into the distance. Well? He didn't mince his words. He hates you for coming back. Wife and daughter hate you too. Why? Because three years ago he was taken and held in a room with no light for ten hours. So when he said the laugh was his, he was taken. A giant 30-year-old was kidnapped? Yeah. He said the same thing you did. He was chained down in the dark. Then he heard the laughing. Then the next thing he knew, he was in the woods. Just past where the bed and breakfast used to be. Did he do the sinner's game? No. Can you turn off the recorder? Why? Well, he's, he's got a family and they... Oh. He was outside of someone else's house when he got taken. Well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Can't make him hate you any more than he already does. And everyone else in town's already gotten their fill of talking about it. Um, Alex and Jana went through a rough patch a few years ago. Things happened on both sides. Alex left town for a few days, and after that, he and Jana went to marriage counseling. What none of us knew, though, was that the night before he left town, he was taken. When he woke up again, he was so scared that he just left town, called home from a room in Grand Marais. Why'd he come back? Well, why do you think? For Jana and Emma. He said he couldn't sleep at night thinking about them alone in Creighton, so he came back. Said he would go through it again and again if it meant making them safe. Making himself the target. But nothing happened. Then you come back to town and hear the laughter on your podcast. He realized that there were others besides just himself. He knew his family wasn't safe. But he knew what happened to me. Yeah, remember when I said people talked about you after you left? No one believed anything happened to you. I mean, your dad never said anything about it. He never talked about you. 
Everyone figured you had a falling out with him, made up a story for Chief, and then ran off. We never knew the details of it all until you played the interview on the podcast. Are you okay? It... It didn't have anything to do with the game. I mean, maybe it did once, but... No. Not with Alex. And now that I'm talking about it, he's scared that whatever took him, took us, would come back. In so many words, yeah. What are you thinking? I need to go. I need to make a call. Where? What are you thinking? He said he recognized his voice as one of the laughs. You were right when you said there are answers in the recording. It takes two hours for me to get in touch with Tim again. Sarah can't wait around and needs to get into work, but makes me promise to keep her in the loop. I tell her to be careful. She reminds me of her shotgun. What the hell is so damn important? You know what time it is here? I'm sick as a dog. Tim, I'm sorry about that. I I just need to know what else you found on that audio. Oh, don't you think this has gone on long enough? For the last damn time, this isn't a joke. Yes, it is. The audio you sent me is the dumbest joke you've tried on me yet. I can't even believe you'd go through the trouble for it. <clears throat> Tim... I swear to God, if you don't just tell me what's going on. I assume you're recording this, so let me point it out for the world to hear. The audio you sent me is a joke, laughter aside. You made it all up to mess with me for some damn reason I can't figure out, and and, and now you're wasting everyone else's time with your stupid podcast. None of this is a joke, and fuck you for thinking it is. You got the audio, 13 people laughing. How's that a joke? You ever hear 13 people laugh before? Ever hear a laugh track on a sitcom? Does it sound like a long hum or a buzz? No. It sounds like 13 people laughing at the same time. Distinct voices. They don't bleed together. The audio you sent me was pieced together bits of 13 people laughing. So it would sound like that long hum. It took time and patience to make it sound that way. I know you got canned, but that doesn't mean you can waste people's time with this This isn't a joke, Tim. This is real. Oh, really? Then why is your voice on there? What? No, we've gotten drunk together enough, Ryan. You really think I couldn't pick out your laugh? It's track seven. The pitch is a little high, but that's you. Ryan? My laugh. Alex's laugh. I slam my laptop closed and go back to my car, speeding all the way back to Bemidji, back to Mrs. Alderman's room, my mind filled with questions but always returning to, where did the song come from? There was nothing in the house. My laugh? 
my wife. The memory hits me so hard I can actually feel it in my gut and I almost throw up as the world spins. My laugh. My dream. It wasn't something my mind created. It was a memory. I was there in the darkness, crying for help, pleading for it, and I started to laugh. I couldn't stop. That laughter in the darkness, it wasn't whoever took me. It was me. I had broken in only a few hours. It was me. Tears turning to laughter, turning to tears. I'm broken. finally arrive at the hospital, I don't see Sarah in the halls, but I'm happy about that. I don't have time to stop and explain it to her, and I don't know if I have enough of a grasp on it to know what to say in the first place. I just need to know one thing. All I can think about is the laughter. When I get to her room, Mrs. Alderman is in the same position I saw her in the last time, head turned towards a window, frail body hidden by the bedsheets. Eyes fixed on the distance. Mrs. Alderman? Um, uh, Mrs. Alderman? And unresponsive. I set my laptop on the small table next to her bed and looked back towards the window, feeling guilty before I even do a thing. Mrs. Alderman, I'm Ryan Jennings. I don't know if you remember me or... I just wanted you to listen to something. Could you tell me or something if you recognize any of these voices? After laugh, I feel the clench in my gut. Mrs. Alderman doesn't move, but when I get to the file that says number seven, I feel the room spin. The sound of my own laugh. Still, she doesn't move, and I keep going through them all until I get to the last file. My skin goes cold at the sound of the laugh and the muscles in my jaw clench so hard my teeth grind. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mrs. Alderman's head turns towards the window and her eyes lock on the laptop. Then they move toward me, staring at me with that horrible, pained expression that twists her mouth, the hanging flesh pulling tight into a sneer. Thank you. 
What happened next is a jumble of images, the rushing of bodies, questions, more questions. Though I didn't hear any of them, I could only think about that last laugh. I'd heard it before, but not from the files. That was the laugh I heard 18 years ago. The laugh that I heard the night I ran from my home in the middle of the night. It wasn't the same laugh that I heard in the darkness. But it's the laugh that's haunted me ever since. And it was the laugh of Stephen Alderman. On the next episode, I track down the laughter and so much more. Hopefully this will all give me enough time to find the answers I'm looking for and get back. I'll see you in two weeks. People need to know Creighton is here. Please help spread the word by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and leaving a positive review. Reviews are vital for exposure. People need to know the truth about Crazy Town.